this message, the Lord started speaking um, to me earlier in the year that we needed to talk about and deal with the shame problem in our lives. And, and I didn't realize that I even had a shame problem in my life until he started, you know, convicting me of my own and showing me some of the th areas of my life that I was ashamed of or felt shame or partnered with shame. Um, I, I want to do a quick, very, very quick um, recap of last week. If you didn't get to see or hear last week's message, go ahead and check it out online. You can go on our website and you can listen to the podcast or you can watch the live video. Um, and, and I just, man, God's word is so freeing. It's so freeing. It's here so that we can walk in freedom. He came to set captives free. Some of us don't even know we're in captivity until the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. And so this shame issue is something that all of us struggle with um, because it started in the garden with the original man and woman. And so it's something that we all struggle with. And so we're going to break it down real quickly. I'm going to recap what we talked about last week. And then we're going to get into new stuff. We're going to find out how God dealt with our shame problem, the provisions he gave for it, and then how we can recognize and deal with it in our lives, okay? So then the first thing I want to remind us of is, is shame is absolutely real. It's not a figment of our imagination. There's actually a spirit of shame that attaches itself to us when we feel... Um, condemned or um, we know we've done something that's not right or something's been done to us that's not right shame is always there to attach itself to our lives it keeps us bound and it keeps us from loving others the way that we're called to and leading others the way that we that god has destined and desired for us to lead it's a prison shame is a prison and it isolates us shame is demonic and Jesus wants you to walk in freedom from shame. Absolutely freedom from shame. Well, Beth, I've done. I deserve. I partnered with. However you want to say it. Fine. If you've done something, what do we do about it? We repent. We turn from what we're doing, and we walk in a new path, and we leave shame back there with the sin that's covered under the blood of Jesus. Some of us are just partnering with shame, and you can see it on you, the way your countenance is, that you honestly are living more in the past than you're living today, in the present, and living for the future. We need to break it off this house. We can't fully step into the next thing that God has for us if we're carrying the crap of the past with us. If our focus is on what we've done in the past instead of who God is and what he has for us in the future, guess what we're going to live like? The past. We're going to have shame of the past. We're going to stay in the pit of the past. We're not going to be able to walk as the victorious children of God that he's called us to. We have to let it go. Loving others, we talked about this last week, loving others keep through transparency is vital in the life of a believer. It's vital. If we live a facade and act like we don't have a story of redemption, that we've never been through anything, that our lives are Instagram perfect, which we all know is just a lie, if we all keep living like that, we're living a facade, none of us are being vulnerable, transparent, and loving towards the other one, we're all missing out. We're all missing out. Today I came in and somebody said, I can't believe it's Emma's um, 18th birthday, and I said, I know, 
I mean, the grieving process has begun, but she's 18. Where is Emma? There she is. Happy birthday, Emma. She's 18. How many of you were here when Emma was born? Look at the hands. These people have known you, and some of them have changed your diaper, just throwing that out there. But no longer. Now we have bladder control. That's good. So anyway, she's awesome. She's 18. She's amazing. She's going to do great things. And now I owe her money because I mentioned her name. So that's the way it works. But um, as I was going through, somebody said that, and I was like, oh, I'm just so sad. And she's like, you're going to get through it, and she's going to get through it, and she's going to be amazing. And I was like, that's awesome. Somebody who's already gone through it knows how I'm feeling today. She's like, you're grieving, aren't you? And I'm like, is that what it is? You know, she's already gone through it. But because we have relationship and she she's knows what's going on in my life, she was able to address some things and it actually helped me. She's loving me by being vulnerable and saying, I went through it, you're going to get through it, everything's going to be okay. That's just a very simple illustration of vulnerability and how somebody else coming alongside you can help you as you, as you navigate life. So as a church, we don't want to live a facade. We want to be real. We want to be the real people who God really redeemed for a real purpose, right? Um, he redeemed your life from a pit, and he redeemed your life from a pit so that you can walk victorious. He also redeemed your life for a pit, from the pit so that you can have awareness of your dependency on him. And you can also, when you see somebody else in a pit, what can we do? We can pull them out of the pit and walk alongside them, giving them the truth of God's word. There's a purpose for the mess that you went through. He can actually turn that messy season of your life, that pit moment of your life, he can redeem it because he redeems all, he redeems everything that we've gone through. Everything. Nothing's wasted in the economy of the kingdom. He redeems our life from the pit. And so he's going to use that pit moment for somebody else's victory. It's just the way of the kingdom. What you've been through, you're going to sow into the life of other people. But if we live in shame, we're not going to sow that wisdom into somebody else's life because we're going to hide from the truth of who we are and what God redeemed us from. Okay? So we're not going to, in this house, allow shame to steal our story. We're not going to do it. We're making the change. You all have a story. Like I said last week, I'm not telling you to throw it out there on Facebook and, you know, wound somebody else with your story. I'm asking you to be to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you're in relationship with someone, you're in conversation with someone, or if the Holy Spirit says now's the time to tell your story, you need to trust the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's asking you to share your story for a specific purpose and a reason, and usually it's to help somebody else overcome what they're going through in their lives, okay? So let's define shame again for those of you who weren't here. It's a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. It's the painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Now, shame can come at us because we've chosen to sin. We've partnered with sinful behaviors or we've partnered with things that, that aren't godly. But shame can also enter the scene if someone else has sinned towards you or against you. Do we understand that? So sometimes the shame we're dealing with, sometimes the shame in our lives because of some sin somebody else committed towards us. But shame is always caused by sin. Either sin that we've partnered with 
or something that's been done to us that was a sin. Always, when you find shame, you will find sin. Okay? Now, here's some, some real quick, a quick re- remembering of reminder of what the fruit of shame is in your life. If you have these fruits in your life, remember, the, the shame is a root in your life, and you will see fruit expressed from it. Okay? So imagine yourself as a tree. God's word talks about trees all the time. Do a study on trees. It's amazing. But it says that we're a tree firmly rooted by streams of living water, right? And we're supposed to bear fruit in every season. But if we're not firmly rooted by streams of living water, if we're not constantly in the word, if we're not constantly in worship, if we're not constantly in prayer, sometimes our roots come from other places. Our nourishment comes from other places. And a lot of it is sin places. A lot of it is shame places. And so if we see shame, if we partner with shame, if we have a root of shame in our lives, and if we don't deal with it, that shame will produce fruit in our lives. And the fruit of shame will fall and spread. And everybody we touch will be um, infected by shame. Okay, so here's some, some fruits of shame in your life. Insecurity and fear. It's a fruit of shame. Condemnation is a fruit of shame. Manipulation, control, guilt, judgment. You're judgmental against yourself and you're judgmental with other people. Isolation, you isolate yourself. Rejection, you reject other people. You don't want them close to you. Disunity and anger, these are all fruits of shame in our lives. Can we agree that it's not a positive thing to partner with. And we just need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it. Now, where did shame come in? It came in at the garden. We talked last week about Adam and Eve and how the enemy came to Adam and Eve, or they came to the enemy, or however that worked. If it was a talking snake, it could have been a walking snake. You know what I mean? I don't know how it worked. But anyway, they ended up around the tree, and they took a bite of the fruit that they weren't supposed to take a bite of, and at that moment entered shame into the world. If you don't think shame is a big deal, I'm going to just say right now, if the first fruit of sin was shame, it's the first fruit of sin in your life too. It's just the way the enemy goes. So Adam and Eve sinned. They started the big cover-up. They sewed together um, fig leaves in strategic places. And then when they heard God coming in for his evening stroll to hang out with them, how cool would that be? They hid, right? So the cover-up started when sin happened because shame entered in. They started covering up and started hiding. What do we do when we sin? Our human nature wants to cover up the sin and then we just start, it starts snowballing. So then we lie about the sin. I mean, I don't know how many times I, I you know, you tell, your, you ask your kids the dumbest questions, like there were cookies in the cookie jar, and then you come into the kitchen and there's no cookies, and you look at your child with, you know, chocolate chips in their mouth, and you say, did you eat those cookies? You ask the stupidest questions as parents. Like, you set them up to lie, and they're like, No. I did not eat the cookies. Well, who ate the cookies? I don't know who ate the cookies, but I certainly didn't eat the cookies. We just lie to cover up the sin, right? We all do it. It's the human nature. And so 
this has happened from the beginning of time, the cover-up and then the hiding. We hide from God. We hide from others. We hide from relationships because we don't want people to know what we've done and what we've partnered with. Anytime shame is present, Satan is present. Sin is present. We need to recognize that in our lives. Okay. So now we're going to start some new stuff. We're going to talk about how shame was handled in the Old Testament. You know, a lot. Of, I grew up thinking of um, God kind of like bipolar God. Um, I can say that. There was like the new Old Testament God, and there was the New Testament God. And the Old Testament God was very angry, spiteful, and hateful. And the New Testament God was very loving, caring, and redemptive. And I had such a messed up view of God's character because I didn't really understand the Old Testament. But we find in the Old Testament that God actually cared about the shame problem that his children walked in. God recognized shame in the garden after sin because he came in to hang out with them. And what were they doing? They were hiding. He recognized sin and shame in the garden. And so he knew that that was going to be the nature of human beings, is that when we did something wrong or something wrong was done to us, when sin attached itself to our lives or we partnered with sin in some way, shape, or form, that shame would be right there with us. And he knew he had to deal with this elementary foundational problem with humankind. And so in the Old Testament, we see that he started to deal with this problem. Aren't you thankful that he dealt with it in the Old Testament? I mean, he, he knew. He knew that the children of God, the children of Israel, could not walk in the ways he had called them to walk if they had shame in their lives. So he had us, uh, the priests celebrate the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, or you can call it the Day of Repentance. And you can find all about this in the book of Leviticus. And I challenge all of you to read the book of Leviticus. There's some really great parts in the book of Leviticus. But in the book of Leviticus, you can find this Day of Atonement. And this is actually a great part of the book that we can celebrate. So on the Day of Atonement, the priest would take two goats, and they would bring two goats in. One goat was killed or slain for the sins of the people. And this is very biblical. The Bible even talks in Hebrews 9. It says, according to the law, in fact, everything must be purified with blood, or nearly everything must be purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So blood had to be shed for the sins of the children of Israel. And so one goat was killed. I wouldn't want to be that goat, but one goat was killed, and the blood was poured out, and it was a redemptive forgiveness process that took place at that moment. The second goat was brought into the camp, and the priest would actually pronounce all of the sin, all of the transgressions, all of the iniquities of the children of Israel over that goat. I wouldn't want to be that goat either. Where you're just, I mean, every sin that they knew of, they spoke over that goat. And in this house, we believe in blessings, right? That's a very powerful thing. Well, when someone speaks iniquity and sin over you, that's a very powerful thing too. And so this goat, everything that they had done, every sin for the year during, from one day of atonement to the next was placed on top of the goat. And this goat was called the scapegoat. How many of you have heard that term before, scapegoat? We use it a lot, especially in politics. You know, 
Like everybody's doing wrong things and the one person gets persecuted for all of it, right? They're, that's the scapegoat. Everybody else is doing things and they place all of the guilt on one person to have the consequences of everybody's sin, everybody's iniquity, everybody's wrong. That's the scapegoat. Well, then the priest would, after doing this, the priest would send the scapegoat, lead the scapegoat out of the camp, away from the children of Israel, as far as he could get them, and then he left the goat there to continue wandering away. And I looked at this and I thought, what an amazing, amazing visual that God gave his children. He knew that shame was associated with sin. Even if it was forgiven by blood, people still associated themselves with the sin that they did. And so God was like, this cannot be. I'm going to place the sin on them, on the goat, and I'm going to send the goat out of the camp so that they can walk in freedom. God didn't want shame in the camp. He wanted his children to know that he forgave them and he forgot their sin. Psalms 103 says he forgets as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. He never brings up our past, ever. He never brings up our past unless he's wanting to bring healing. Never. If your past is brought up or past situations pop up in your head and you feel guilty about them or condemnation, that is not ever from the Father. He never brings up our past to, to shame us or to make us feel guilty. God knew that the children of God could not function the way they were supposed to if they were partnering with shame, so he made provision to get rid of it. How could they conquer enemies? Listen to this. How could they conquer enemies? How could they take new land if they were living in the shadow of the failures that they had in the past? How could they do it? How could they conquer new things? How could they conquer new land if they're living in the shadow of their past failures? Faith Chapel, how can you do that? How can you become who God's calling you to become if you're living in the shadow of the failures of your past? I'm going to propose to you that you can't because you cannot walk in your destiny carrying failure behind. Eventually, Failure is going to overcome you because there's a provision for it. And if we're taking it upon ourselves, then we're not actually being biblical in how we're dealing with it. There's a provision for it. There was a provision in the Old Testament, and there's one in the New Testament as well. I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that our sin and shame issue was dealt and taken care of on the cross when Jesus died for us. Jesus became your scapegoat. His blood was poured out for your sin. And your shame and your sin was, was placed upon Jesus on the cross. He overcame that. He overcame your sin and he overcame your shame. So many of us, though, we hold on to our sin. We say that it's covered under the blood of Jesus. And I think most of us have a good understanding of that. That without the blood of Jesus, our sin's going to keep us from getting to heaven. So we need the atonement blood of Jesus. 
But Christians are really, really good about holding on to the guilt of their past. Really good. We have to get to a point where we release our past and give it to the Lord. He doesn't even remember what's beating you up. He doesn't remember. If you've repented for the sins of your past, when you keep going to him and saying, God, forgive me for that, he's like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. You're the one partnering with, you're, you're believing a lie. And the lie started in the garden. It started with Adam and Eve, that they had to hide, that they had to feel shame, that they had to cover up. And then in the Old Testament, God's like, actually, go ahead and just release it onto the goat, and I'm going to take it away. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, go ahead and give it to me, and I'm going to take it away. But the body of Christ, we have to come together and ask ourselves a really hard question. Do we believe that Jesus is enough to take our sin and shame? That's the question. It boils down to one question. Is Jesus enough? And oftentimes, we don't live like he is. We punish ourselves for our sin. We punish other people for their sin. We take on shame for the things we've done in the past. We live in the past failures. We're very quick, at, some of us are very quick to point out other people's failures and place shame on them. I've seen it done in the church before. It just blows my mind. People come in and they get saved and their life's just really screwed up. And the next thing you know, they ask Jesus into to their, their lives and we start to see some things changing and shifting in their lives, which is a process. It's a process to let go of things and entanglements and things that hinder us. And the next thing you know, you see the body of Christ, instead of coming alongside and, and going ahead and throwing them a ladder to get out of the pit, giving them wisdom that they've had and they've grown in as they've gotten out of pits, as God's brought them out of pits, we start casting stones like, I just can't believe you're ever in that. Like, judgment towards someone who's actually coming to Christ for redemption. This house cannot have a judgmental spirit towards non-believers who are coming in to be set free. We can't. Let me just throw this out there. Your sin is just as bad as their sin. I don't care what the sin is. What is sin? Missing the mark of the glory of God. Falling short of the glory of God. Your gossip, your slander, Partner with negativity. I mean, there's so many ones that we can miss. You know what I'm saying? And we justify our behavior and we point fingers at other people. Well, they're actually sleeping around. Or they're actually in a homosexual relationship. Or they're actually a drunk or an addict. Great. Bring them in because Jesus wants to redeem their sin and actually give them victory. That's what he wants to do. And so as the body of Christ, we say, bring it on, Jesus. Bring all the broken. Bring all the hurting. Bring all of the people who need your love and redemption. Because you've redeemed us from pits, you're going to redeem them, and we're going to come alongside them. That's what you've called us to do in the body of Christ, right? Let's look at Hebrews 
10, 14, 18 through 25. Oh, this verse is fantastic. Verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever. Everybody say perfect forever. forever. One sacrifice, perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. Is the Holy Spirit bringing up your past sins? Not unless it's for healing. Not unless it's for healing. He will never bring up your past sins because he said, I've made you perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So the only time that I believe that, that the, the Holy Spirit will bring back something from your past is if you say to him, Holy Spirit, where's the root of unforgiveness in my life? He might bring something back so that you can give it to him. So he can cover it with your blood so you can walk forgiven. You can walk free. You can walk free from guilt. He might bring some things back, but never, ever, ever, ever in condemnation. Ever. Well, Carrie, you know, you could really have achieved more if this, this, and this. That he would never do that. Pam, if this wouldn't have happened in your life, maybe you would have accomplished this, this, and this. He would never do that. He doesn't even remember. The only person who remembers is the enemy. That's the only one. He wants to bring condemnation. He wants to bring shame. He wants to bring guilt just like he did in the garden, and he's doing it today. And I would say to you, one of the original lies that we believe as believers is that we're not good enough to be with God, that we're not acceptable to be with God, that we've sinned too much to have a relationship um, re restored with God because it's the same lie he did in the garden. And he tries it with us too. Let me tell you, there's nothing that you've done that can't be forgiven by God. And once it's under the blood, once blood has been shed for the forgiveness of sin, he remembers it no more. It's broken from your life. Verse 18. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You don't have to cut a goat anymore. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, the body of Christ, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God, no more hiding. Get out of the shrubs. Adam and Eve hid in the garden. Get out of the shrubs, there's no more hiding, no more hiding. With the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, that is shame, and having our bodies washed pure, with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the one sacrifice of his son on the cross, he has made you perfect forever. When the enemy brings up the lies that you're not good enough, that 
if you wouldn't have done this, this, and this, you would have had a better life. Things would be different and, and just condemning you for the choices that you've made in the past. You need to say, I've been made perfect forever because of the blood of Jesus. I'm not going to hide from God. not going to hide from other people. I'm not going to hide from relationships. Was I perfect? No. Did I sin? Yes. Well, thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God for the cross that brings freedom from captivity. And it starts so many times in our thinking. It's beautiful. Beautiful. So a takeaway we can have from Hebrews 10. Jesus is your scapegoat. No other goat is needed. He's your scapegoat once and for all. He did the work. All of your sins were pronounced on Jesus. All of your shame pronounced on Jesus. You can walk free from the issue of shame in your life. Hebrews said, their sins and their lawless acts, I remember no more. He doesn't remember them. You can choose, because it's a choice, you can choose to have full assurance of his love for you and the forgiveness that he provides of your sins. You can choose to walk free from a guilty conscience and shame. You can choose. It's your choice. You can choose to hold unswervingly to the faith that you profess because he's faithful. You can make these choices. And I'm asking as a, as a church house, are you going to make the choice? Are you going to make the choice to live in the freedom that he's given you? Are you going to make the choice to drop the shame that's in your life, that's plaguing you? We can do it. I know we can. I also think there's a great takeaway here in Hebrews where it says that we are not, we're to spur one another on with love and good deeds and we're not supposed to miss meeting together. There's kind of a movement, I think, just in our society in general that we're enough, we don't need other people, and that if we have to have relationships, we're somehow weaker than the other people that we're surrounded by. Well, God's word actually tells us to not forsake the assembling of coming together. If he tells us to do that, do you think there's a reason? There's a reason. He wants you to have relationships with other people. He wants you to be involved in a body of Christ. He wants you to be invested in a house of worship. Beth, are you just saying that to get the attendance numbers up? No. Because it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you being obedient to what God's asking you to do. He says to not give up meeting together, but to continue and even all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other, guys. We need each other. I need the wisdom that you offer. You need whatever little wisdom I can offer. We need each other. We need relationships. It's going to help us navigate life as we walk into eternity. So let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds with relationships. And we do that, like we talked last week, about having loving, trusting, honest, vulnerable relationships. We don't want to have a facade and a fake, fake life here. We want to be real with one another. Okay, how do you guard against shame in your life? How do you guard against it? There are seven steps that I'm going to tell you to guard against shame. We'll put these up on the... Um, on the Facebook page and Instagram this week too, so you'll have a graphic that'll go with it. But if you're, if you're 
Partnering with shame, you need to implement these seven things. If you want to stay on guard against shame, you need to implement these things. Let me ask you this. Is shame a problem every single person deals with? Yes. We just need to accept that. And so we know that's a way the enemy is going to attack us, so we need to guard against that. Okay, number one, Adam and Eve, be real. Get naked, no fig leaves needed. No hiding. God knows who you are. There's no reason to go back into the shrubbery. There's no reason to cover up our sin. We need to be real. Don't hide who you are. Shame will always push you back into the garden, okay? He doesn't want you to live there. And there's a great verse that goes along with this. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Don't hide who you are. Don't hide where you've come from. Have you sinned? Yeah. Shocking, isn't it? You have sinned. You have a past. I have a past. We've all sinned. We've all failed. We've all fallen short from the glory of God. And if we say that we haven't or we act like we haven't, we're living a lie and we're basically saying, I don't even need the blood of Jesus. You have a story. You have a story. Don't hide. Underneath that point, I also have a couple other points I want to make. God loves you despite your sin and your past. Despite your sin and your past, he loves you. Luke 19.10, this is bonus verse. It says, For the son, the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. He actually knew that you were going to sin. He knew that you were going to be lost, and so he came to seek after you. He knew there was a shame problem, and he's like, they, they need to deal with their shame problem. They need to deal with their sin problem. I'm actually going to seek after them. And he gave you provision to cover your sin and unrighteousness. God knows you and he loves you anyway. Isn't that great? He knows you better than anybody else and he absolutely loves you. He came because he was on a mission to redeem you and he knew that you would sin. The Bible says that you are now the righteousness in Christ Jesus. Corinthians 5.21, this is just a powerful verse. And sometimes I think and believe, as believers, we don't, we don't arm ourselves well with the word of God. Some of these verses we just need to have on the tip of our tongues all the time so what, that when the enemy comes back with our story of shame, we can say, uh, actually, that is a story of redemption. Listen to what God has to say about it. So let's look here, Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on what? Our behalf. Jesus came because he knew you were going to be sin sinful. He came because of that. He didn't have any sin in his life. He's like, you know what? Shiloh's going to blow it. You're getting ready to go, aren't you? And she's got a person, then I pick her out. Shiloh's going to blow it. She's going to sin, so I came for her, and you can go minister. God bless you. And then it says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus came to take our sins so that we could become righteousness of God. 
There's a great exchange there for us, for each of us. Number two. Number one, so get real. Don't hide. He already knows and he made provision for you. Number two, take responsibility for your behavior. Take responsibility for your behavior and don't blame others. Are you going to be perfect the rest of your life? Yes or no? No. So just take responsibility for your imperfections. Take responsibility for your sin. Why do we go around acting like we've not sinned when our life is completely falling apart? The fruit of sin, I mean, there's consequences for it, right? So every, your life is falling apart, things are going horrible, and we're like, yeah, we're just fine. Everything's fine, 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 fine. No, it's not fine. It's not fine. Admit your sin quickly. Repent from your sin and, and give it to Jesus, and don't blame others for your sin. Adam and Eve, we see it. it. I mean, it's just so typical. We all like to blame everybody else for our sin choices. Well, they said this, or they did this, or they, they made me mad, or they did this. I just responded. Well, you know what? Your response was sinful. You're not responsible for somebody else's behavior, but you certainly are responsible for your behavior. So you own your behavior. You take ownership of it and say, you know what, God, I sinned. I repent, right? We see it in the, in, in the garden. Who did Adam blame? Eve. Who did Eve blame? The serpent. The blame game started back in the garden, and it continues today. We need to stop it in our lives. We need to stop blaming other people. If you don't take responsibility for your decisions, you will find a scapegoat. Jesus wants to be your scapegoat. He actually wants you to come to him and say, hey, I blew it. I am sorry, I repent, I turn from that behavior, and I press towards you. I throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles me. I throw that off, Father. I just throw it off. I leave it at, at your feet, and I press on to what you have for me in the future. But so many times we don't do that. We start blaming everybody else and trying to find a scapegoat. I am telling you right now, Jesus is the only scapegoat that when you stand before the Father is actually going to be the scapegoat that covers you. Your parents, your teacher, your boss, your government, your church, none of that is responsible for your sin problem. That's only the decisions we make and the scapegoat that we place our sin on is Christ. Right? So we need to make sure we recognize that in our lives. And I would say this. If you're married, you need to hold each other accountable we hold each other accountable. I remember when we first got married, I mean, Brad was like the golden child of the family. He could do no wrong. And then he met me. I was like, oh, buddy, that is wrong. I mean, he was celebrated. This is on video. His mom probably would say amen now. But he was celebrated. His grandma Riley just like worshipped him. And I was like, dude, you're doing some things wrong. You know what I mean? Like, you're doing some things wrong. You need to straighten up. We hold each other accountable. That's what relationship's about. The good old days. That's right, when you were celebrated. It's amazing. We all make mistakes. And I want him to call me out. And I want, I want to call him out because I want us to look more like Jesus when we die than when we were born. And if we keep just, 
you know, blaming everybody else and making it all everybody else's fault that we chose sin. How ridiculous is that? Then we're just acting like Adam and Eve in the garden. We need to move past that. Number three, you need to know who you are. Identity is everything. Who are you? You are forgiven. You are his child. You are not your sin. You are not what others say about you. You are not what you say about yourself. You are who he says you are. That is the truth. There, you, can, you can try to manipulate the truth, but the truth is, in Christ, you are who he says you are. Not what the enemy says, not what your friends say, not what your mama says. It's who he says you are, and that's the identity that you need to have. And there's a scripture here. I want you to take a picture of it because we don't have time, right? So go ahead in 1 Corinthians 2.15. Um, you need to study this scripture because it talks about the natural man versus the spiritual man. A spiritual man walks in accordance to the spirit and what the spirit says about him. The natural man walks in accordance to what the natural man or what the enemy says about him. We have to have the mind of Christ concerning ourselves. So we have to have the spiritual man concerning ourselves and have his viewpoint, okay? That's so important. Number four, be in the word and receive the word as truth. Be in the word and receive the truth of the word. So many of us are, we can be in the word and we, we, apply it, we apply it for everybody else. But we don't apply it in our own lives. Isn't that crazy? You can meet with somebody, like I could be meeting with Kennedy and we could be having a conversation and she tells me some things she's struggling with and I can just preach a message. I mean, it's amazing. I can be like, Kennedy, you are who he says you are. You are an overcomer. You are the redeemed of Christ. You are his daughter. You are priceless. You are precious. And I walk out feeling none of those things for myself. So I can give it to her without receiving it for myself. Some of us need to receive what the word says about us. We can apply it to everyone else, but we're not walking in freedom if we haven't applied it to our own lives. Number five, you need to pray and stand guard against the enemy. There should be a continuous prayer life going on in your, in your everyday life. It should be continual. But there is sometimes when you need to stop what you're doing and you need to hit your knees. There are some times when you need to pray through situations that are going on in your life. And I think, I love the fact that as a church body and as a church overall, we're like, you can pray at any moment. You can have communion with the Father at any moment. It's beautiful. I was raised in a more religious church environment where it was like, you know, at the altar every single time. And that's really where you met God. I'm thankful I can meet God anywhere. But there's something to be said for those altar moments in your life and in your home where you hit your knees on your couch or you go hide in your closet. That's where my prayer thing is. You hide in your closet. You do something and you say, God, I am not leaving until you touch me. I'm not leaving. Some of us are under such attack of the enemy that we think the crazy that's going on is now normal. It is not normal. It is attack and we need to stand against it. You are victorious in Christ Jesus. You are, not you will be, you are victorious in Christ Jesus. We need a shifting of our mind and our hearts. Romans 8, 1 says this, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
When the enemy comes back at you to remind you of your past, this is a verse that you need to have in your tool belt ready to defeat the enemy. There is how much condemnation? No. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You need to remind the enemy of that. You need to remind the enemy that the blood of Jesus purifies you from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 7. All unrighteousness you are purified from because of the blood of Jesus. You need to remind Satan that when Jesus faced shame, he fought against it. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is the model on how to deal with shame. The Bible gives us a very clear view of how he felt about shame. We can look in Hebrews 12 too. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising what? He despised it. To despise something means to intensely dislike it, to regard it with contempt. He despised the shame. When shame starts to come in on your life because of decisions that you make, what should you do if you're going to model the behavior of Jesus? We should despise it. We shouldn't partner with it. If we, there's going to be two things that happen. There's no neutral ground here. You will either despise the shame and put it in its place with the word of God, or you will partner with it and it will push you back in the shrubs. That's it. There's no middle ground. You will either despise the shame and have a dislike against it and say, no, I am not partnering with the spirit of shame, or you will end up in the shrubs hiding and isolated, feeling rejected and, and feeling dis, dis, displaced because you're not being the child of God that he's called you to be. You will overcome Satan. You will overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Revelations 12, 11. I think it's so interesting here. Last week we talked a lot about godly relationships in the house of God and how, how godly relationships cause us to be vulnerable and to share our story, to share our redeem, redemption from the pit. Let's look at this verse again. There's two ways that you overcome. Two, not one. Two ways. The first way you overcome is by the blood of the lamb. That's Jesus. That's the cross. He took your shame. He took your sin. And by what? Word of your testimony. Isn't it so interesting? Isn't it interesting that as soon as sin entered the world, we started covering up and hiding and isolating ourselves from who? God, from relationships. The enemy wants you to never tell your testimony. Why? There's a measure of overcoming that takes place when you share your testimony. I overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. It's not either or, it's and. We need to grasp this. Shame tells you to not tell your testimony because it hinders an aspect of overcoming that the Lord wants to have in your life. That's good, amen. I say amen myself. You need to take thought, captive your thoughts and make them obedient. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down every argument every preception that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it 
obedient to Christ. So much of our shame issue happens right up here. It happens in our thinking. It happens with the small little thoughts that come into our mind and we just grab onto those thoughts and we don't recognize it's the enemy and the next thing you know we partner with shame and we're back in the garden. We have to take captive our thoughts. We have to process our thoughts and be intentional with them. Number six, we need to deal with the root of our shame. You have a root that's allowed the fruit of shame to be in your life. What is it? Just ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask him. What does it say the Holy Spirit does? He leads us into what? All truth. Everybody say all truth. All truth. All truth. He knows where your shame came from. Some of us are too ashamed to go to the Father and ask him where the shame came from. Well, I don't want to talk to God about my shame because he, then he'll, he'll talk about my stuff. Yeah. He wants to show you where it came in so you can walk in freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He wants to bring freedom in your life. You have to deal with the root of shame in your life. And also, this is just a key side note, you have to forgive other people who place shame on you. If someone did something to you, a sin was done to you or your family, maybe you were robbed or maybe you were stolen from or maybe you were lied to or maybe you were manipulated maybe you were abused whatever it is you have got to release forgiveness over that person because the shame of that sin will stay with you until you release them forgiveness has to be the the foundation in those type of situations forgiveness must be given number seven you need to have a person who's your person we talk about all the time, we talk about mentorship, men mentoring men, women mentoring women. You need a person. You need somebody that you can navigate some of these situations with. You need somebody that you can be brutally honest with. Brutally honest. You can talk about the behaviors you're struggling with. You can talk about the attitudes that you're struggling with. You need someone who's like Jesus. You see Jesus in them and you're like, I could talk to them about it because he's, they're like Jesus. I could see them. Somebody who just encapsulated who Christ is, you need to go to that person. Somebody you can trust. Someone, who will, someone that you will give permission to speak into your life. It's one thing for us to say, you're my mentor. It's another thing for us to never tell them anything that's going on and not give them permission to speak into our lives. We have to say, you know what? When you see me mess up, Barb Halbrook, I want you to call me out on my stuff. Because I actually want to become more like Jesus right? We need to do that. We need to pick somebody who loves and cares for us and will pray for us and intercede for us as we're dealing with our shame issue. Ladies and gentlemen, Faith Chapel, if we're going to become everything God's called us to be, we have to deal with it. We have to release it. And we have to make sure that when people come in that are struggling with sin and with choices, the consequences of choices of sin, that we do not stand in the place of judgment, but we actually offer to come alongside and show them the love and the redemptive power of Jesus. Amen? Everybody stand. I'm going to close with reading Psalms 103. Your homework for this week, your homework for this week is to read Psalms 103 every day. Every day. I want you to read Psalms 103 and read it in a couple different translations. The, the Passion Translation is amazing, the NIV, the, 
I mean, there's so many great translations, the message, but I'm going to read today from the NIV, and I want you just to focus on the words. If you have your phone, go ahead and pull up Psalms 103. If you have your Bible, open it up. I promise we're going to get out in a minute. None of us will starve. Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits. Who forgives your sin and heals your diseases. Who redeems your life from a pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. The lives of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field and the wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Amen. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you gave provision for us. We thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. We thank you that you forget our sins as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that you redeem our lives from a pit and you crown us with love and compassion. We thank you for who you are. And I just pray, Father, that this week as we read your word, as we're in prayer, God, that you would highlight those areas of our lives where shame has crept in so we can get it out. Father, I pray that all of us would grow in areas of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and others for the sins that we've done and the sins that have been done to us. God, thank you for highlighting shame in our lives so that we can walk in freedom with you. In Jesus' name, amen.